0: Alright guys, random stat of the day, 1.4 million deaths can be prevented each year by hand washing with soap. Alright, another stat, here it comes to you live, 2.6 million bars of soap are discarded daily by the hotel industry in the US alone. And if you think those are random stats, just wait until I have for you today
1: the most inspiring stories from today's most successful entrepreneurs with Business Bootcamp
0: Podcast and your host, Mike Andes. I know some of you thought that was really random stats, but it had something to do with what we are talking about today because we are talking to the soap queen. That's right. We're talking to Anne-Marie Fiola and she is actually... A local entrepreneur in Bellingham Washington not far from where I live and I don't know if she's gonna brag about it today but she has made a soap empire all right and if anyone out there thinks that they can't make a business out of something they love or something they uh, enjoy talking about like if you can make money out of soap I'm pretty sure you can make money out of just about anything you like to do all right so Today we're having her on the show, we're going to be interviewing her live and in person on the Business Bootcamp Podcast. Hold on everyone, here it comes to you. Hey everyone, welcome to Business Bootcamp Podcast and it is my pleasure today to welcome Anne-Marie. Anne-Marie, how are you doing today? I'm
1: great, thanks for having me on the show, Mike.
0: Good, good. So, I want to get things kicked off right away, Anne, and can you kind of share with our listeners kind of what your story, background is, and kind of where you got to where you are today?
1: Absolutely. So my story background is that I have always been a super crafty girl and we're talking like knitting and decoupage and that kind of stuff. And I started making and selling soap at the age of 16 and I sold soap all throughout high school and all throughout college where I went and got my degree in psychology with an emphasis in criminal justice. I really had a passion for the criminal justice system Uh, specifically around kind of the cycle of poverty and the cycle of crime and really wanted to go in and try and make a difference. And I thought that the best way to do that would be to do it from the inside out. I also had this dream of becoming a uh, FBI agent at some point as well. So corrections seemed like a pretty natural field for me to get into. And after about nine months of being a correctional officer, I realized it wasn't a great fit with my extremely sunny disposition and outgoing personality and glasses half full, chipper kind of personality. <laughs> so I quit, my, I quit my job and started selling soap full time. And I thought it was just going to be a small thing and that I would move on to another job or another career choice in like, say, three months. And after that first weekend of selling soap at a craft show and like really going in and being like, this is going to be my full-time job. I'm really going to, I'm just going to do it amazingly and it's going to be awesome. I sold so much that first weekend that I realized that there was a much bigger calling for me that I could help other women quit their jobs that they weren't fulfilled in. And start making and selling soap and other do-it-yourself beauty products that they made at home or in small manufacturing areas. And so I founded BrambleBerry.com when I was just 20 years old and have been working really hard to grow it. And that and several other brands. I have a retail store called Ocean in Bellingham, Washington, and a DIY do-it-yourself beauty subscription box called Handmade Beauty Box and love blogging and have a YouTube channel. So I've just kind of been chipping away at it day by day for the last 15 years.
0: Awesome. I have to ask, though, because I, I, I saw previously that you were, you were going to be an FBI agent, and then I watched like Soap Queen TV, which is on YouTube for everyone out there. I'll put the link in the show notes. But I watched that, and I was like, I just can't see her being an FBI agent. So I have to ask, why would you think you're going to be an FBI agent? You know,
1: that's a a great question, Mike. And I'm sure that my parents also were like, why do you want to be an FBI agent? Why would you want to work in this this field? Uh, Because they probably saw what you saw. And I think that the reason I wanted to be an FBI agent was because I wanted to feel safe and protected. Because when I had been younger, I had someone that tried to kidnap me. And they made a D.A.R.E. video about me uh, because it was kind of such a shocking and interesting incident. Because apparently the first thing I said when the police came... And they're like, well, how did you know to run away? And I said, well, I, you know, I learned it in my dare classes or something <laughs> like that. So I think that actually it was probably just out of a desire to feel safe and put put order into my world, and not even realizing that that was linked to something that had happened when I was a little girl.
0: So how how did what was the process of becoming? realizing or cognizant of the fact that this wasn't for you and what you had thought for maybe years or grown up thinking that you're going to be this, this certain job. When did that translate into be? Like, all right, this isn't for me. And what was that experience like?
1: Well, it only took about nine months because what happened was that during the day when I wasn't working, cause I was working graveyards, I worked minimum security and I worked medium security. So I had two separate correctional yeah. facilities that I had experienced, uh, And I noticed that I was becoming much more snippy, snappy, and didn't have nearly the patient's reserves and was getting angry and didn't want to do the things that usually brought me such joy, like working out or cooking. And the only thing I wanted to do was craft and create. And so I just wanted to lock myself in this tiny little spare bedroom of our in my house and only make soap and make beautiful things out of really nothing. And when I started doing that and shutting myself off from people, I realized that something was going on and this was not the best fit for me. And so I put a plan together. I figured out that I had to sell about a thousand bars of soap in order for me to quit my job. So I put a plan together of how I would do that, how many craft shows I had to go to, how many bars I had to sell at those craft shows, how many wholesale accounts I'd have to do, all of that, and gave my two weeks resignation.
0: Wow, so so why was it soap though Emery like what 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 what's so special about soap?
1: That's funny that you asked because I <laughs> have often wondered that because i've I've done all kinds of hobbies if you you name it, I've done it. Felting, knitting, decoupage, uh, rubber stamping. I mean, I have done it. And I think what I love most about soap and why it is really stuck is that it's alchemy. So it's pure science. It's pure chemistry. You're creating something totally unique and different out of seemingly disparate random materials. And then two, there's such a creative component to it. You can create really the sky is the limit, anything you want. And then people use it. So it's like a consumable art form. And that endless creativity coupled with the science part of it, really makes me excited and I love it. And that said, I make all kinds of other beauty products too. Everything from mineral makeup to bath fizzies to lotion to liquid soap, you name it, I am in the lab tinkering with it and playing with it and teaching people how to make it.
0: Awesome. So you kind of went from this, you know, you had the job with the security and you're kind of tinkering out the soap. And then you you kind of had the business plan, but can you co- kind of walk us through those first few steps, like the first trade show, the first you know customer? What was that like?
1: Oh, wow, I can tell you that it was exhilarating and terrifying. There's that part of you when you first start a business where you're just astounded yeah. that anyone wants to pay you money <laughs> for doing something you love. Yeah. Uh, and I remember feeling a, you know astounded and terrified and excited and exhilarated, and also a little guilty. almost like what I was offering wasn't worth their money or their time because I had such joy in creating it. Yeah, And so that's something I did have to overcome. And the planning for the first craft shows is crazy. Like you literally are like, well, wait, if a hundred thousand people come to the craft show, How many of them are going to walk by my booth? Okay, maybe 10%. Okay, so then how many of them are actually going to walk in? Okay, and then how many of them are going to buy? So really trying to nail down those numbers and nail down that kind of sales funnel and what percentages was definitely, a that was like throwing a dart at the wall and hoping it stuck someplace in those first early craft shows because I really did not know what to expect. And then over time, I got a lot better at it. And I sold soap at craft shows and farmers markets on the weekends for about five years to bootstrap Brambleberry because Brambleberry I knew right away was what I wanted to be doing, helping other entrepreneurs. I was so passionate about that idea that I really wanted to go all in on Brambleberry, yet I still needed to fund it. So I would make soap in the evenings. Work all weekend at a craft show, load up my Subaru, drive wherever. And you know, you wouldn't believe it, Mike, but there are craft shows and artisan kind of maker fairs all year long in multiple states. So I would drive sometimes a state or two over, set up my booth, sleep in my Subaru, wow. and then come back and work Brambleberry during the week. So it was a really fun and challenging time and definitely a lot of long hours and a lot of work and a lot of kind of dedication and planning.
0: Cool. Yeah, I, I'm actually going to ask you a, a personal a question. Like uh, you talk about the, the shows and you had your figures on who's going to come into the booth and all that. Like we're actually just about because I ha- uh, own a lawn care and cleaning company and we're just about to have our first trade show uh, in Linden actually at the Home and Garden Show. And mm-hmm. so kind of, is there something that when you go to a show, cause that's a lot, I find a lot of people start there, you know, if they have a product, oh yeah, that it, that's a great place to start and kind of get a feel of the market. So can you kind of give some advice on how to set up a booth or kind of what your strategy was go when, when you went to those?
1: My strategy when I did trade shows was to be friendly and approachable and helpful. So, so many times you walk by a trade show booth and the people are literally looking at their phones or they're reading a magazine and they're just really not interested, which is shocking to me because you spent thousands of dollars
0: getting (laughs) there.
1: Really? And I think that actually comes from fear. That comes Mm -hmm. from a place of fear, the not wanting to engage because, you know, What? So many people walk by or walk into your booth and they don't engage with you or they say no. And rejection, when it's especially when it's your own business, hurts. It feels really personal when someone rejects you. So I, so I think my best and biggest advice is just to make sure you're always on your feet. And when you design your trade show booth, if you can make it so there's as many interactive elements as possible, so people are having an experience, there's a reason for you to interact with them when they're in the booth, that's even better. And if you can make it so that you have multiple kind of stations for people to congregate around, what I've noticed the most successful booths do is they have multiple kind of uh little round uh, columns almost in the middle of their stations oh. that people naturally will go around kind of it's like it's a bar table or something mm-hmm. and that will help draw people in so almost like dropping the breadcrumbs or the bread trail to get people into the booth all the way to the back where you are or maybe you're out front or maybe you're around kind of one of the bar table areas but we're really making it inviting to step in by giving them a path to step in and also by giving them some sort of experience some sort of reason to step in.
0: Awesome. Yeah. And and you talk about kind of making an experience and I want to ask you cuz when I come to like Brambe- brambleberry.com or soapqueen.com I feel like I'm I'm experience experiencing soap. And how do you, how did that kind of translate through your brand like this whole idea of an experience because soap is for some people it's a commodity, right? You know, you can just use the stuff like how do you uh, make people have an experience with your products or what you're offering your services and so that it becomes an experience can you kind of expound on that a little bit
1: absolutely so for me experience is a few different things of course it's consistent consistency of brand so when you come to the brambleberry.com site it looks well laid out it looks well thought out it looks well planned you can kind of see the branding right away uh, Two, it's telling a story, and the way we tell that story is through the SoapQueen.com blog and the Soap Queen videos and also our social media. And so if you view all of our social media and we do it all, we do everything from Instagram to Tumblr, we're experimenting with Snapchat now. I mean, we're really everywhere. You will see a consistency of voice and a consistency of story and a consistency of message. And that's for two reasons. One, I oversee everything. So if it's going on the blog, if it's going on Tumblr, if it's a Snapchat, either I did it myself or I supervised how it was being done. Um, and then two, that's because we've actually sat in a room, and when I say we, I'm talking about me and a couple of my team members, and said, hey, what does the Brambleberry voice sound like? What would, what would Brambleberry say? Uh, what do we want to talk about? What's the formula? What percentage of our tweets should be business-related? What percentage should be personal? And we've really tried to give people an opportunity to engage on a much more meaningful relationship-based level than just selling them products, which is why you'll see about 10 to 20% of all of my social media that I do is personal or personality-based. So it's everything from, hey, showing the Instagram of my kids and my parents singing this weekend to showing you behind the scenes what I'm working on to uh, talking about what me and my girlfriends did over the weekend because... It's all about relationship, and it's all about telling that meaningful story. Hey, this is where your supplies are coming from. This is the person behind the brand. And so in terms of creating that experience, I really think that business can and should be extremely personal. It doesn't mean you have to say, hey, I'm, you know, I, had a, I had a sandwich for breakfast. Isn't that funny? Ha-ha. But it does mean that you want to let people understand and know a little bit more about you and why you're doing this business because people buy from people they like.
0: Awesome. So like, but now, uh, before we kind of step back and kind of talk about how you ramped everything up, I want to say, like, ask you, how do you have a huge business? You have the Brambleberry, you have the Soap Queen, all these other different channels that you're working. How do you still make it where you are kind of the brand? People can still feel they're building a relationship with you, even though probably a lot of your Uh, sales are from online sources and you don't even see the customer because it used to be you probably shook their hand at the trade show or at the farmer's market, but how do you do that from an online perspective?
1: So trying to create a relationship with customers when you can't see them and you can't talk to them means trying to have communication and conversation where they're at. So, for example, if you see my Twitter feed, you'll see that at least once or twice a day I go on and I talk to people on Twitter. I, you know, there's an at response, call and response to at least 15 to 20 people. On Instagram, you'll see that I have conversations with people, YouTube, everything. If there is someone that wants to try and talk to me or try and interact, I want to do that. And so I think that business can and should be extremely personal, even when you're online. And you just have to be a little more creative about how you're doing that. So that's everything from, again, pulling back the curtain and revealing who you are in blog posts so people get to understand your personality, to making sure that when someone comments on your Facebook page that you actually call them by name. You know, hi, Amanda. Thanks so much for your question you know, we actually, it's funny, uh, I'm such a stickler for this, that if someone else is answering and it's not me, there's actually a punctuation and grammar format that I make them follow. It's Mm -hmm. hi, Amanda, comma, return, return. Thanks so much for your question, period. Return, return, answer the question, return, return. And if there's any opportunity of putting in a link or additional information, here's more information, link, return, return. Thanks so much, comma, Whoever answered it, right? Like I am that much of a stickler for making sure that the brand and the voice and the story and how we treat our friends that are talking to us actually happens. Because I don't want someone to get derailed by the fact that we had bad grammar and not notice what the message was.
0: Awesome. So I want to kind of step back though and kind of talk about when you decided to quit the job because you were doing this whole weekend, evening, driving around all of, you know, Western Washington and all around the place. When it was that time when you took that next step and kind of walk us through the, maybe even give us some numbers on kind of when was it when you were like, all right, I can quit the job and I'm doing this full time?
1: That's a great question. So I quit selling soap about five. uh, Brambleberry was grossing probably about 1.2 million when I finally quit selling soap on the weekends. And the reason it took so long for me to do that, because you're like, 1.2 million, that's so much money. What you're telling me, you couldn't quit selling soap (laughs) on the weekends, that makes no sense. But one of the things you'll learn as an entrepreneur is that growth sucks. Cash. Yeah. So even if we were profitable, there was never any money left because I was always reinvesting it in inventory. I moved four times in the first five years. Wow. Uh, like that's how fast we were growing. It was like sixty thousand, then two hundred forty thousand, then seven hundred twenty thousand, then one point two million, then one point four million. I mean, it was just the growth rate was so phenomenal that there was no way to quit. Selling soap on the weekends because that's all the money I had. Because every single available penny was being put back into Brambleberry, and even with that, I still had two hundred forty-two thousand dollars in lines of credit by the time I was twenty-four.
0: Whoa! Yes. Wow. So, can, was that kind of stressful having all that debt on your back? Ridiculously stressful. It was
1: back then, and it's funny because people that didn't live that did not live through the credit is given to you just for having a name and being older than 18 (laughs) years, they don't even remember how easy it was to get a credit card. I mean, literally, you signed your name and said yeah, I make $50,000 a year, and they would give you a credit card for $350,000. Banks were begging you to transfer your high balances over to their credit cards, and they would give you 0% interest for six months on the transfer. So I just would keep transferring balances until one day I had a chief operating officer that came on in about year three, and interesting enough, he is still with me today, he is a huge part of why Brambleberry is so successful because he's given me the opportunity to really do what I do best, which is be creative and be the driving force behind sales and marketing. Because he does operations, but finally he came on board and he finally was like, "Yeah, so I've added up all the credit cards. This is how much <laughs> we owe. I guess it's not we, it's you.
0: It's like and, a talk from uh, it's like your talk from her mom or something. What are
1: you gonna do?" <laughs> So that was, yeah, absolutely. That was extremely stressful. And I had to come up with a very serious and quick debt repayment plan. Hmm. Extremely fast.
0: Wow. wow. That's not cool. Uh, <laughs> it,
1: it really was a very difficult three years, um, t- paying all that off.
0: Were, very, were you, very difficult. Did you go to college like during that time and all that? Or did you just do the business only? Like when you're younger, like in the early twenties.
1: Oh, right. Um, So I ended up going back to college to get my master's degree in business when I was about 27.
0: Okay, cool, cool. Is that an MBA then?
1: Yes, I got my master's degree in business, my traditional one, MBA, and then I got an entrepreneurial master's from the MIT. At the time, it was called the Birthing of Giants program. Now it's called their Entrepreneurial Master's program.
0: Cool. Did you happen to get your master's at uh, Western?
1: No, I oh, no. Okay. You know, it's so sad. Back then, they did not have this amazing program yeah. that they have now. In fact, my husband went to Western in the evening and weekend classes and got his MBA. That's what I'm so- doing right now. Oh, are you? Congratulations! Yeah, that's, that's awesome.
0: a lot of fun. Yep, I enjoy it. So, um, can you kind of talk us through though? So, you're at 1.2 million. You're grossing that. You know, who cares about net right now? You're growing fast. So. But where where how did you get from there to where you're not making money to where you are now? Like in, when was that that you were uh at, in debt but grossing 1.2 million? What what year was that?
1: Well, I was 24, so that would have been 2002.
0: Okay. So so when you have all this debt and you have this huge amount of gross, what was it that kind of clicked for you, or was it just like driving you because of this debt to like get figure things out? And what what'd you do to do that?
1: So when I was 24 years old, that's when I went to MIT for okay. this Entrepreneurial Master's Program because I realized what deep doo-doo I was in <laughs> and realized I didn't know anything. And that's also about the time that I had about five part-time employees and I started really feeling the weight of responsibility for not messing up their lives. Yeah. So that's really when I started getting serious about business because it wasn't just me anymore. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I think, I think that's for a lot of people, if they're having struggles in their company. it, it When you have other people involved and other family members or even other families in general, you feel that responsibility and that weight on your shoulders when you start struggling.
1: Absolutely. It's, and it's just, a, it's a huge weight. I, you know, at the time I had, um, I was married to my first husband. He and I are not together anymore, but... I had a mortgage that was $454 and I had two cats and the responsibility to take care of him because he was a student and the cats didn't add up to a lot of money. However, I couldn't possibly bear to screw up any of my employees' lives. It just was, it's inconceivable. And so that was when I got extremely motivated to figure out what I didn't know and start really engaging in a relentless way. I'm continuing to grow my own skills as a leader and as a business owner so that I can provide a future for those people.
0: Awesome. Yeah. And I want to kind of dig into this part where you started really growing the company, but I was reading, I think it was on your blog. I don't remember where it was. I was reading and you said, you talked about how it's not like an overnight success. It's like a day by day, small victories kind of add up. And I remember reading that some, somewhere you wrote that. Absolutely. And, but yeah, like, I, w- was I there I- a turning point or was it more like you just kind of evolved into what it is today?
1: Was it a turning point and then it evolved? Tell me.
0: Like, was was there a specific time that, like, it just kind of clicked in the business or was it just every day you kind of eventually got out of this hole or, like, eventually started making it into what it is today?
1: You know, it was a gradual thing. The success certainly was a 15-year overnight success, right? Every single day was small, tiny, incremental amounts of effort. Mm -hmm. And that eventually leads to something really awesome.
0: Cool, cool, and and like on. I want to ask a couple questions because you have Brambleberry, you have Soap Queen, you have the Soap Queen TV. You got kind of, you're kind of like different um, websites. Why didn't you choose to kind of do everything under one like Brambleberry or just one Soap Queen? Why was it that you kind of diversified there?
1: Uh, that oh. is actually a really good question, and it's a pretty common one that I get pretty frequently because it's not necessarily a best practice. And I did that for two reasons. One. I wanted to be able to do things with the different brands Mm -hmm. that I wouldn't be able to do with the other brand. So, for example, if you look at the SoapQueen.com blog, you'll see that it's targeted to a a somewhat different customer base Mm -hmm. than the BrambleBerry.com blog. The BrambleBerry.com blog is very kind of more traditional looking. It says, mm-hmm. trust me, give me your credit card. Whereas the Soap Queen blog is more fun and whimsical. And the Soap Queen blog will give me the opportunity to say, do a paper or stationery line, which I really want to do because I'm obsessed with paper and stationery that I wouldn't be able to do on the Brambleberry blog. Um, and I wanted really to be able to spin off any of the companies and brands if I sold any of them in the future and not harm the other ones. And then second is that I wanted each brand or company to be able to innovate and do different things without being beholden to very deeply ingrained beliefs or values or ways of doing things that the other company had. So for example, Handmade Beauty Box has its own staff, its own business number, like UBI number, its own checking account. It doesn't have to do things the Brambleberry way. It doesn't have to advertise or grow its customers the Brambleberry way. It has a different voice. And that's because I think that for different businesses, they all deserve different strategies. And I don't want Brambleberry or Soap Queen or Hammy Beauty Box to be drugged down by the other one.
0: Awesome. Yeah. So... That's that, That's kind of how I've done my business. I have a couple. I have the cleaning and have the the lawn care, and, and then you kind of have this idea of you know should we merge them or they stay separate. So I like that advice. But like, I want to talk about um, like so right now, where are you at right now? Like kind of brag on yourself because because I I know you're gonna be all modest on me, but but what what is what is Brambleberry doing? Like we, I guess we haven't really dug into what you guys actually do, what you kind of sell. But go ahead and tell us all about it.
1: Absolutely. So brambleberry.com sells raw materials to manufacture soap and toiletry products. So if you'd like to learn how to make lotions in your own house or lipsticks in your own house or bath fizzies or you're tired of buying expensive nail polish, I sell all the ingredients for you to actually make those products. And with my different social media outposts like SoapQueen.TV, which is our YouTube channel that has over 60 free instructional videos, or SoapQueen.com, there's lots of opportunities to learn how to use all these ingredients to make basically anything and everything under the sun that would be considered a beauty product. And then Ocean, our retail store, is located in downtown Bellingham, Washington, and that has a really fun maker's do-it-yourself kind of crafting bar so you can go and have children's parties, girls' nights out, and craft soap and toiletries at the store. And that's super fun. Handmade Beauty Box is a monthly DIY beauty subscription box. So you get everything you need in a monthly box for $30, and that includes shipping to make. So, for example, this month's box was 24 lipsticks. Uh, The previous month's box was bath fizzies. And um, I think next month's box is learning how to make cuticle cream. So those are kind of my main fun, interesting, unique and dynamic brands. But you'll notice they're all around creativity, making something out of nothing, and definitely experiences, having experiences with your family and friends, having experiences yourself, crafting, and really just based around doing something, activity, makers. And they're super fun. I love all the different brands, and I love all the different businesses, and I work on all of them every single every single week, and I make sure that I track my time so that I'm spending my time appropriately for what where my income and revenue is coming from and where I want it to come
0: from. Awesome. So I kind of let you go there and you know, that was awesome. But now I want you to kind of share maybe experience or time that it was a, it was a struggle in the business or perhaps it didn't seem like you're going to pull through and kind of tell us about that and kind of how you picked yourself up and kind of pressed through it. Can you tell us about that?
1: Absolutely. You know, one of the things that I think entrepreneurs, and I do it too, because I'm so glasses half full all the time, do a disservice to other entrepreneurs is when they don't talk about their struggles and they pretend that their life and their business life is like their Instagram or their Facebook page <laughs> because yeah. life is not all shiny. Um, I've had so many major struggles. Uh, you know, I remember the time that the Brambleberry Warehouse got flooded because the landlord dug a new kind of ditch down our warehouse to put in a new sewer pipe and it rained, of course, Washington state, of course it rained. (laughs) And the rain event caused the, the open kind of line that he was trying to dig uh, to flood and the entire warehouse got flooded and insurance didn't cover it and the landlord wouldn't cover it. And that was just such a time of deep distress for me because financially we are just on the brink at that point. And and that damage and replacing all that product uh, was just, that was, that was devastating. And I remember the first time someone quit on me, I mean, I cried because it felt so personal. I remember yeah. the first time I had to fire someone. I also cried because I, I <laughs> cried during the firing because I felt so bad. Oh, wow. <laughs> it was awful. And then I remember that. I mean, I remember the employee that embezzled from me. They embezzled $5,000 from our retail store Thank in a one month period. Um, and at the same time, I was going through a divorce. And I just I felt so stupid. I felt so taken advantage of. I felt so betrayed. Mm-hmm. And then my personal life was a mess. I was sleeping on friends' couches because uh, my ex-husband, at our divorce settlement, gave him the house. And it just was such a low point in my life. And the only thing that really kind of kept me going and kept me going to work every day because I didn't miss one single day of work was the fact that I knew what I was doing was bigger than anything that was going on in my personal life or even losing the money because of the embezzlement, which happened in the same month that I filed for divorce. So it was not the best month ever. Mm. Um, I knew that everything that I was doing was for a reason and there was a purpose and that was because I loved spreading the message of handmade and entrepreneurship and I could change lives by helping people create these amazing businesses that were flexible, that worked for their families. Because Brambleberry has about 60,000 customers and about 40% of them, 40% are small, small businesses. So I knew that I was changing lives if I could just put one foot in front of the other and keep going to work. So absolutely. Those are some of the really hard times. Um, just recently in the last couple of months, I had American express, uh, for whatever reason, they still have been unable to give me a reason, pulled our line of credit. It was a $350,000 line, dropped it to $50,000 and asked for, asked for the entire payment in the next 18 days. Uh, So those are the kind of struggles that I still go through, even though it looks like from the outside looking in, that life is super easy and every day is awesome. It's it's definitely, every day is not always awesome. However, my attitude is always awesome and I can choose to be really happy about it or I can choose to be really bummed about it. And you know what? I could be working this dang hard and have this many struggles and not be running a successful growing business. And instead I am running a successful growing business and still working hard and having struggles. But the difference in where I'm at versus where I could be always just puts things into perspective for me.
0: Awesome, yeah, I love it. So before we kind of get into the home stretch, though, I, I want to kind of ask you what's the- what's the future look like for Brambleberry, Anne Marie? Like, what what what's what's your vision for all these companies and kind of what you're doing? What's the what? Is there a finish line or something you're going for a goal?
1: <sighs> well, I'm super lucky that I'm still pretty young. And so the idea of retirement doesn't even really phase me or cross my mind. And I've turned down many venture capital uh, or purchase offers in the last couple of years because I love what I do and I really feel like I'm called to do this and every day is invigorating and exciting and so what i'd really like to do is continue being an employer of note in whatcom county growing this business so i can help provide a stable economy with great jobs that have medical that pay above minimum wage way above if you look at our average and continue to grow the business by softening and rounding the edges of what we do so what i mean is i love growing the business by thinking of slightly different things to do that are related to what I am doing now that are not outside my realm and interest levels for passion. Um, For example, I'm not particularly passionate about skateboarding, so I probably wouldn't open a skateboarding shop. However, I'm super, super, super passionate about again, stationary and paper. And I have been for the last 15 years. If you look at my blog, you'll see I, have for the last, since I've been blogging for the last eight years, I blog about my stationary purchases because I'm so excited about them. <laughs> um, and so it would be a natural for me to like try paper or try stationary or try something like that under the soap Queen line. So just rounding the edges a little bit on what I do, expanding the lines a little bit. If I expand each line by 10% every year, well, that becomes pretty amazing growth over over the lifetime of the companies as long as I can keep finding new buyers for those those new lines.
0: Awesome, awesome! I love it. I haven't even I haven't even seen your retail store though, and I live like twenty minutes away from you.
1: Isn't that funny? Because it's been open, we're going on I think year eight, and it's amazing how hard it can be to get messages out on a local scale. Like the internet gives us such a great way to connect with people all over the world. But if you try and tell people that you have a retail store in your own town, it's a lot harder. Like, you know, was that that tough
0: going, going, going from like internet to retail? How was that?
1: You know, I did the retail store for two reasons. One, I love, love people. I think you can probably tell from how long and excited and chipper my answers are and how fast I talk that I just... App. People just really engage me and really energize me. So I missed kind of having that face-to-face part of doing craft shows. And so I opened the retail store for that reason. Then also because I really thought that doing a line of do-it-yourself kind of soap making bars across the nation would be the best idea ever, and it was totally franchisable. And when I got into retail and I started working in the store myself, of course, I realized that there's a lot of other things to do in retail besides talk to your customers and have fun. Like in order to actually talk to your customers and have fun, you have to vacuum the floor, balance the till, clean, (laughs) actually straightened everything, dealt with making displays. And that's when I realized that retail wasn't actually my passion. I love having the store because we're able to have a local presence and we're able to really test out new products and If I'm going to teach a new class anywhere, like say I have to fly someplace and teach a class um, on the big screen, I usually will demo it at the retail store first just to kind of get feedback and all of that. So in terms of the retail store, I love it and... I really thought I was going to go national with it. And when it came right down to it, I just wasn't passionate enough about it to do the heavy lift that it was going to take to go national. But if I ever found the right partner, I absolutely would give up, you know, ownership shares in order to partner with someone to franchise that out. Because I think it's a genius idea. It's been open and thriving in Bellingham for you know, almost, almost a decade. And by almost a decade, I mean like seven or eight years. <laughs> um, so I think that there's an opportunity there for someone else.
0: Yeah, well, shame on me for not coming and seeing the store. So
1: yeah, well, I, I, I'm guessing <laughs> making lip balms and making nail polish may be
0: your first priority. Though no? oh yeah, I guess not. All right, so let's go to the home stretch. Anne Marie, can you kind of share your favorite quote and why you like that one so much?
1: Absolutely. So I, my favorite quote is "How you do anything is how you do everything," and what that means is that if you are slacking it anywhere in one area of your life, you're slacking someplace else. And, or if you're killing it in one area, you're probably killing it in every other area. So if, for example, um, if I caught you lying about a small thing, Oh, whatever it was, I would know that you were lying in someplace else, uh, Mm -hmm. some other area.
0: Uh, so when that person embezzled you for 5,000, did you catch them doing something smaller before?
1: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. No, I caught him inflating numbers, like how many people would come in the door. And I caught him lying about little weird things about what he had done with his weekend or how he got, like he gave me a present and he lied to me about how he got the present. (laughs) Um, And I mean, in hindsight, yeah. Oh my goodness. It was such a huge, huge, just forehead slapping moment. But at the time, remember the part of me that makes me a terrible correctional officer is that I really like people and I really trust them and I really yeah. believe the best in them. They are awesome, right? And, and so, yeah, so how you do anything is how you do everything so that and that goes to hiring right try and hire top achievers that when you see that they were on student council and that they were the world championship person for water skiing and that they also played basketball all throughout college and were the team captain in their senior year uh those are the people i want to hire because if you overachieved and you really pushed yourself in your personal life pretty sure you're going to have great drive and great motivation to work at Brambleberry or any of the companies. And I'm not going to have to push you. We'll yep. create your goals together and then I'll check in with you the next month and you will have done something because you are naturally self motivated.
0: Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, by the way, um, if any of our listeners out there are in Bellingham, are you, do you have a job openings? you want them to like apply for or anything like that? They're overachieving amazing people.
1: Absolutely. (laughs) Yeah, I would love to see resumes. My email is really simple. It's Anne Marie and it's A N N E hyphen M-A-R-I-E at Brambleberry.com. Send them to me unsolicited because we keep a virtual bench of between five and 10 people for every single job because we only want the best of the best. And so we have everything from warehouse to customer service to marketing uh, to social media, uh, operations, warehouse, supply and sourcing. Uh, we definitely have lots of opportunities. So yeah, if if you're a go getter, I want to hear from you.
0: Awesome. All right. So how you do anything is how you do everything. That's your quote. Now I'm going to give you 20 seconds, Emory, and I want you to kind of share what you feel is the most important bit of information that you got for our listeners.
1: Way to, to limit me to 20 seconds because I could talk <laughs> forever. But I think my most important advice is that there are tons of mentors and tons of leaders out there that have written books, that have done TED Talks, that write blogs that you can learn from. You can learn from anyone, anywhere. You don't have to go to a conference that's expensive. You don't have to find a mentor. Just go out and read the best business books from the best top minds. Read the Seth Godin books, the, the Stephen Covey books, the Jim Collin books. Read all of them and do everything in them that they say to do if you just go through the success principles by jack canfield honestly that will take you further along in lessons learned than my first five or six business years in business did so learn from the greats they're already out there they've written to you you just have to spend the time reading and learning and doing the homework yourself
0: Awesome. 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 Well, I want to say thank you, Amory, uh, for joining us on the show today. And I think on behalf of all the listeners, uh, we can say we're happy you're not an FBI agent and that you, you, you became an entrepreneur and came on the show. So we appreciate it so much.
1: Absolutely. Well, thank you for having me on, Mike. It was such a pleasure.
0: That was brilliant stuff today, guys. I'm going to leave you alone, but make sure you get on to businessbootcamppodcast.com slash episode 29. There you'll find the show notes for today's episode. All the tips and links that Anne-Marie shared with us today will be on there. I might even throw a few of her videos from SoapQueen.tv on there. So make sure you get on there. Also, if you guys have questions about your business or you want to come on the show live and in person in our boot camps or Q&A sessions, make sure you get on to business camp, podcast.com slash apply. Until next time, everyone, I'll see you later.